Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Under the radar. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tiantian. Now, helping energy firms extract oil in remote areas and in deeper waters in a more pocket-friendly manner. Uh, that's exactly what our guest for today does. Now, founded in 1990, SGX main board listed Dynamac is a global multidisciplinary contractor who undertakes the detailed engineering, procurement, and construction of modules and facilities in vessels widely used in the oil. Oil and gas industry. Now, one of them is the FPSO, also known as the floating production storage and offloading vessel. Now, what's this? Right, this is a ship that could be used to store treated crude oil in remote areas and offload them to tankers that transport them to refineries. Now, such vessels eliminate the use to transport crude oil through fixed pipes. Thereby making it economically viable for energy companies to extract oil in less accessible areas and in deeper waters. And meanwhile, Dynamac also secured several contracts worth a total provisional sum of 88 million Sing dollars from repeat customers. But how does the firm assess its financial performance? Well, for more, I've got with me Lim Aching, executive chairman and CEO of Dynamac. Uh, AC, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great to have you. And AC, we've briefly talked about Dynamac, but what is the simplest way of understanding the work that Dynamac does? What products and services do you provide? How does it fit in the ONG industry? Our business, in the very layman and simplistic term, it is like、uh, building Lego blocks. Instead of stick building from bottom up, we build like a Lego block form. And then what do we build? It's like building up refineries, power plant, carbon capture storage facility. Using this concept, this Lego block on the modules can be used both for offshore and onshore. And our type of business is quite different from the, you know, drilling for oil, finding oil, or building ships. The FPSO that we use are used to, you know, to supply the products needed for the tail end of the entire projects. Basically, we run the last plate of the relay race before the oil and gas can be lifted from the ground. Hence, our project can be quite time sensitive. Hmm. Understand. You mentioned facilities both offshore and onshore. Could you explain a little bit more for us?、Um, because it is like a factory itself. What the modules we build is like Lego blocks. So these Lego blocks can be configured in different way. Some are like for power plants. Some for for is like the membrane and the compression module needed for carbon capture storage. So these modules, why they want to do it this way is because you can do it in a quicker way and risk free. For example, if you want to build this、uh, plant somewhere in the very remote places,、uh, let's say you drill, you want to put it on a difficult place that to do stick build. Using this method, you basically can build it in Singapore or somewhere else, and then transport this module to the other country, right? So this is the advantage of、uh, the product. Then the other big advantage is that, let's say they are building the vessel in, let's say in China, right? At the same time, in parallel, we can start building the modules in Singapore and then ship out to China. So, for a very time-sensitive project, right, it has got great advantages on that. Later part, I want to touch on a little bit about why our business model and things are quite different from the traditional oil and gas business. Mm. And let's talk about value proposition and business model. Then, right? Do you consider yourself as an engineering firm in the oil and gas industry? Are you considered a shipbuilder? Doesn't seem quite like it as well. How would you define your value proposition then? 
we are actually not shipbuilders. The Chinese yachts and some of our competitors, they have got very um, big sponsor, very deep pocket, whereby they can put massive infrastructure and workshop. So this gives them the great advantage to build standard products like ships. So this is the type of business that, uh, that I try to avoid because they are very good at building that and can build it very cheap and efficiently. So for us, we are quite hardcore engineering company in the oil and gas. Uh, we are quite focused and very niche in what we do, right? There's only a handful of companies uh, that uh, do this module fabrication. In Singapore, perhaps we are the only one that is purpose just for building modules. And um, I would say that uh, our type of business is quite different from a traditional shipbuilders or other companies whereby they actually do it at a lump sum or at EPC, which the risk can be very high, you know, in our type of business. We are like, a, we want to, do, to be the best in what we do, sort of like a contract manufacturing. But at the same time, I, I want to maybe stress that point is that uh, we are not just doing oil and gas alone. There is a lot of things that we can make use of what we know in oil and gas to future proof of business. Just now I mentioned about the carbon capture storage and right now also about pipe spool production for green hydrogen and ammonia. So these are areas which I think is very exciting that I think maybe more people should pay attention to dynamic in this area. Mm. Okay, and let's take a look at your facilities though for the moment, uh, AC. Dynamic has two fabrication yards in Singapore, total land area of some 140,000 square meters, I believe. And uh, I believe you also have a strategic partnership outside of Singapore in Malaysia, Indonesia, China and the Philippines. What is then the role of the different markets that you're in? When it came in, right, my main focus actually is Singapore and China. Malaysia, we do have some strategic partnership, yes. Indonesia, not so much. Philippines, not so much. So that is the situation. Well, I think while we operate in China, when I came in to set up the JV Cove with the Chinese partner, right, our main competitors are also the Chinese yard. We have good visibility what's happening in Singapore and China right now, like what the Sun Tzu of War says, like, you must know what the other side is doing. So when I joined Dynamic three years ago, I shared with the team that uh, collaboration is one of the key strategy for Dynamic to survive and grow, right? Because it's, it's very important to think long-term and create a bigger pie to the extent that it's okay for our partners to have a bigger share of the profit. So while we grow and optimize our Singapore capacity, right, there is an upper limit to the manpower, the land, and the land. So that's why I told them we should go overseas. And that's also mean when we go overseas, it doesn't mean to say that it's, it's manufacturing in Singapore alone. You know, we actually construct our modules overseas. However, at the same time, we need to consider the risk. It is perhaps more prudent to take a low risk and a lower profit when you go overseas. So when we go overseas, we work with a local partner and we adopt an asset-like type of approach. For example, when we go to China, right, our Chinese partner actually provides the financing, the facility, the equipment, and labor force at a fixed rate. Of course, they naturally will take the cost and also the profit for the portion of work and risk. But you know, with this, right, you actually can move, can be very mobile and nimble when you move overseas. So, the, but that type of uh, partnership is important, meaning to say that you should not just say that, oh, I want to take the, them to take the risk and then you take the profit. No, that's not how, how we think. Sometimes in partnership, it's okay to let the other partner take a bigger part so that, you know, 
bigger part of the pie so that you can create a bigger pie for everybody. So that's a mindset that we have yeah, in terms of partnership. And AC, could we take a look at some notable projects by Dynamic that uh, our listeners should know of? I understand your end clients include the likes of ExxonMobil, BP and Shell, but who are your immediate customers as well? Um, on the notable project itself, right, maybe I'll share one of the projects when I joined the company. You know, I could not pick the worst timing to, to join Dynamic uh, in 2020. The company was very hard hit by covid you know, lockdown, there's no worker in the yard, the oil price was negative, and we got serious cash flow problem. So instead of bidding for so many projects, I changed the strategy to have focus, and we do not bid for project. And there was one particular customer who believed in me, despite the whole yard was empty, you know, with no worker, who believed in what I said. He awarded a project when, you know, during the midst of the COVID. They brought their projects all the way from a yard in Mexico to Singapore to let us complete the project for them. And we finished this project in record timing for them. During the whole process, right, we did not claim force merger. Okay. We instead, and we do not, you know, instead of uh, complaining about a lot of stuff, right, we actually engaged the government agency and asked me to see how can we contribute to charter special flight, to do bubble wrap for fellow SME, even for BCA. So that project itself, we, in fact, we finish up in record timing and deliver to them, you know. So these are the type of things I think it is, you know, people will not believe that, you know, that we can actually make it in such short period and such great difficulties. Then in terms of your customer group that we are talking about, right, our immediate customers are actually the, you know, for the offshore side, the FPSO side, is actually the FPSO operator. But I can say that there is a gradual change in the customer dynamics due to two factors. Number one is that the Class A shipyards are very packed with work. The super oil majors are actually reaching out to the shipyards to book and secure the production capacity. So that's the first change in dynamics. Second thing here is that there's a rising cost of financing. I think it's above 10% now, right, for some of the operators. So the oil majors will actually weigh the project risk versus paying the operators more for the financing cost. I think this is one of the few reasons that some of the oil majors are actually moving towards awarding EPC contracts to the shipyard directly instead of going through the operators. So things have also changed a fair bit in terms of the customer's dynamic. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Lim Aching, Executive Chairman and CEO of Dynamec. And let's take a look at the wider business environment at AC. As you mentioned earlier, some of your competitors are Chinese state-backed shipbuilders who have deeper pockets. Talking about the likes of the COOEC, the Offshore Oil Engineering Company, and SWS, the Shanghai Waikaoqiao uh, Shipbuilding Company. So how would you then assess the competitive landscape? How do you position yourself against uh, these players? I have re- received a request from our competitor CEO wanting to visit Dynamic. And I agreed to their request. After their CEO's visit, they actually sent their management and their production team to Dynamic to see how we do things. They were quite amazed by our output per square meter of land, which means our land use compared to what they use is, is, is very, very high because they also invite me to visit their shipyards. So right now, talking about the, how do we position against them, I think two key things that I think we have changed quite a fair bit 
is that the safety and the quality are the two must-have to start with. So, in the last few years, we built up a culture of zero lost time incident, they call it LTI, for safety. That's a culture setup and zero carryover work. Two fundamental things that you must have. That's a starter. Zero LTI and zero carryover work in terms of safety and quality. Now, then the other big differentiator that we have against our competitor is that we do not take projects beyond our capacity so that we deliver our projects on time or ahead of schedule. So that is something that is very difficult to achieve because our type of project, our customer look at time because every day they talk about day rate, they talk about you know the amount of barrel they produce per day. Now, then the other key advantage is that that Singapore firms or dynamic have is that it's our strength and ability to build non-standard product using our flexible methodologies that can quickly absorb changes because changes are for sure, such as client design changes and equipment delivery delays, right? So these are factors that help us. And that's the reason why just now I mentioned earlier on, we try to avoid building standard products. The more difficult, the more complex, the more changes there is, the stronger is dynamic strength. And you talk about not manufacturing standard products. Is manufacturing standard product something that is adopted widely by current industry players and your competitors at this moment in time? I visited uh, many Chinese shipyards because they have uh, asked me, you know, first thing we got JV Co. with a China merchant in China. And at the same time, you know, some of my competitors also invited me to see their shipyards. So when I see their facilities and all, um, it is huge. It is, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, they got very, very deep pockets that they can pump into the capex, you know, into what we call capex means the investment into the hardware and all. So they are able to mass produce what we call standard product parallel bodies like ships. You know, it's like cookie cutter. So once you go into competition of cookie cutter or what we call building plain steel, that's not somewhere you want to go because you will not you will not be the price setter. There's very little key advantages. So you can imagine the amount of infrastructure they can put in because those they will put you know over a period of time. But for us, it's very different. The agenda of a state-owned enterprise in China versus you know Singapore, uh, uh, a privately owned company is totally different. So that's why we must adapt our strength to what we do for our products. So I think that's a key fundamental difference. Just now you mentioned about the capacity and all. Mm. And in the longer term, uh, AC, let's take a look at what's next, right? Modal intelligence expect the uh, FPSO market to grow from about 11 billion US dollars in 2023 to some 16 billion US dollars by 2028. We are talking about a CAGR here of around 8.5% during the forecast period. Granted that you don't want to just be in the FPSO space, how far do you agree with this assessment though? Okay, this is on the FPSO business, right? Okay, I think many people have made many predictions, you know, and, and stuff like that oil price, etc. So, you know, I've been in this business for more than, about now close to 30 years, right? So, I can share with you this one, two things. One is that some of my clients or most of my clients are very bullish. You know, they are more bullish than what was reported here. And they think that uh, the growth period is longer than that. Perhaps until 2030. You know, that's how my clients are feeling. The reason for their bullish or, 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 or their view is because in in oil or anything, the reservoir itself is what we call the production yield. It will drop. 
it will drop, it will come down. When it comes down, right, they are actually going for the proven fuels whereby they're going to produce more. And that's why they will need more FPS so in this period of time to replenish the drop in the yield itself. So that's one part, okay, on the very macro type of uh, prediction of uh, intelligence. Now, looking at ourselves, uh, instead of looking outward at a very macro view, I think from our own order book and inquiries, at least we can expect a very strong market until 2026. You know, because remember, just like I mentioned about it's quite different now from compared to the last, uh, you know, the fuel oil cycle. The fuel oil, oil cycle that we see is that everybody is being lifted up by the tide, right? Which means all the shipyards, everybody got jobs. But today, you will see a very particular situation whereby the work is only going to fuel selected yard, what we call the Class A yard, whereby they are very, very packed. While the Class B and Class C, they can be quite empty, right? So there is a difference here. So, you know, I always tell the guys, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like a ship and you set up the wave. Yes, the wind will blow equally. The wave will carry everyone forward. But it's, when you set the sail, where's the captain sailing? Do we have the, the crew that is aligned with you and things like that? So if you are able to do that, then you're able to capture the growth in this business. If not, you know, even if the wave and tide is with you, you'll miss it totally. So I think that's on this present wave of FBSO that we talked about. South America was cited in that intelligence report as a dominant region for the market amid increasing offshore activities. Uh, what are the bright spots for Dynamec, though? I think South America, besides South America, there are quite a few areas that's going strong. Because just like I mentioned about uh, they're going for the very big few. In South America, they have very big few in both you know, Brazil, Guyana, now Suriname as well. So this particular area, I think, will be very, very packed activities. Now, looking forward, just now I mentioned about the Class A yards, right? The Chinese yards, the good ones, are very, very full. Um, you know, you want to go for a dog slot for some of the yard, you got to talk to their CEO, and they'll tell you maybe you come back in 2026, you know, the year 2026. So it is very difficult. So the yards are full. Now, for Dynamic or for South Asia, per se. There's a few things that we can look at. One, the Chinese labor cost rate are rising much faster than Singapore. It's, it is a situation because the main, I think the shipyards are doing very well in China. And we can already see some of the work rate are higher than what we are charging in Dynamic. And with the ESG drive, right, but with the ESG drive, you know, European banks are more reluctant to lend to, you know, to the oil and gas projects at the same time. So some of the companies will still have to go to China for financing support and capacity. So that's another factor you need to consider. Now, the third factor we need to think about is that there's a geopolitical tension, right, that will stay. I think will stay for a long time is competition between, you know, the big giants and all. So I would expect that many more companies will adopt a China plus one strategy. Now, with this particular tight capacity in the market right now, I believe that both our Singapore and Chinese yard should be very busy for the next few years. When I say Singapore, we are not looking at Singapore alone. You know, we are looking at our clusters or our, you know, our team, our partnership within the Size Asia network as well. Mm. 
And let's zoom in on some recent developments surrounding Dynamac. Uh, I believe, uh, AC, very recently the firm said it had secured several contracts worth a total provisional sum of $88 million from repeat customers. And this would increase your net order book to some $630 million, delivery stretching all the way till 2025. How would you assess your financial performance so far? I think we did okay so far, you know. So, but... I think it is easy to sign a contract. But more importantly is that we must be able to make some profit and deliver a commitment to our customer. Now, for the FPSO side of our business, the engine itself, we are not done yet. Now, our, uh, you know, because I think we are still optimizing our capacity, we are still growing that part. But I think there are other growth, potential growth engines, which I will touch on later, that we should pay attention to. So right now, we are not resting yet. I think there's still quite a fair bit of room that we can grow. Mm. And just to uh, take a look at this piece of news out recently as well, in August, I believe Dynamax signed this agreement with Kim Heng, which is a marine specialist, to make multifunctional offshore platforms. Anything that you can tell us at this point? One key thing I can share here is that I believe that Dynamax and Singapore company must hunt as a pack. Huh? If you don't want to use a very aggressive term, maybe we can call it a Queen Bee concept. So, I would say that the motivation for Dynamax to do so is very simple. I've seen many, many, I mean, I've seen several, not say many, several cycles. Many companies have failed because of over-expansion. There are excess production capacity that we can tap. And, and at the same time, right, I think that it's better that we share profit than to turn away business. You know, some people, you, you may say that, oh, it's a very good thing, you know, a good situation to, to, to have businesses and you say no to them. But bear in mind, any one time you turn away one customer, you actually destroy the goodwill because it's very difficult to build up the goodwill and customer, when they talk to you, they really need you to do something for them. You must try your very best, you know. So sometimes a customer will call, call me to say, hey, why are you not taking up this job? Then it's very, very bad, you know. So that is the reason why we must try our very best to produce that capacity, right? But at the same time, not to be overly ambitious. And then later part, when there is a problem, you're left with a lot of spare capacity. That's why I strongly believe that we must collaborate, right? So after we announced this particular, you know, with Kim Heng, you know, uh, when we talked to Thomas, Kim Heng and all, then, you know, we got other subcontractors and supplier partners thinking one thing and wanting to do the same on our projects. So I think that is a very good step forward. We should explain to them, you know, we should win, we should win and do projects together. And that's a concept we have in Dynamax. Mm. And finally, before we let you go, AC, what are some future plans for Dynamax for the rest of this year and into the next? What can we expect as far as Singapore is concerned? I've set a strategy for Dynamax uh, since the day one I joined 2020. We have not actually changed our strategic plan. I.e. few things. One, Dynamax will ride the FPSO wave. Okay, We will expand, we will optimize our capacity. Of course, just like I mentioned about collaboration, we also do a bit of organic growth there. But, you know, very prudently. Now, while we have a strong outlook for this business, and, and now we started to overlap our project, but... The key problem here is that project business type of business is still very lumpy in terms of revenue and all. So we need to overcome that, 
right? So the team is myself and the team have uh, strategized that we must expand to business, you know, that can produce recurring income. By the same time, this business is something that we must understand. So to do so, we'll go to adjacent, perhaps through acquisition or to businesses such as plant and maintenance and servicing work that can produce some recurring income. So that's one part, right? You cannot just, you know, try to grow this area because you may not be 100% understanding, although it's adjacent, but you may not be 100% because you like to need the baker do the baking for this part. At the same time, right, labor force and land use is one big factors that we have to overcome. We must think about how can we scale our business. So the other key core competencies that we have is our actually our ability to produce very high-end piping school. That actually we are sitting on a gold mine. We need to tap on our workforce and a workshop that can produce this very high-end piping school that is needed for the hydrogen and the ammonia. Today, that market, I think it is not there yet, you know, in a big way, because we may produce, we produce a lot. But we are actually, you know, setting up a new place. We produce, we are getting ready to supply all this hydrogen, this uh, piping spool such as a stainless steel and etc. for this type of work. Right. So that is another growth engine that we have. The CCS part is more of the economics part. We are actually building a very big modules for FPSO to do the carbon capture and storage in our yard now. The technology is there, we know how to do it. Just that how the economics economics will work. That one when the carbon tax is a bit higher, then I think that particular growth engine will also be something that we can look at. So I think we have a very um, exciting time that we can look forward to. Hmm. Exciting days indeed. Thanks a lot, AC. That was Lim Aching, Executive Chairman and CEO of Dynamec. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.